The first thing that I did this morning when uh, Melanie couldn't access her opening words was to check to make sure that I had my sermon along, <laughs> which is one of my reoccurring nightmares. Let's gather our hearts together in prayer. Dear God, on this beautiful, beautiful morning, what a joy it is to gather as your people, to reflect upon your word that continues to nourish us and to bring our souls alive, awake. Dear God, grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. We pray through Christ. Amen. So three years ago, someone stopped me as I was walking out of Lemon Street Market and asked me, hey, are you the walking pastor? She'd just seen the article in the newspaper about my city walks and wanted to know. And ever since then, I've been thinking about all of the smart responses I could have made back to her, like, oh, do other pastors not use their feet anymore? And hoverboarding is a little too dangerous for this pastor. But seriously, little did I realize then how very prophetic her question actually ended up being. Because after the pandemic began, walking with many of you soon became the crucial way for us to safely connect with each other. And as times passed, I began to realize that I had actually stumbled onto something really precious. Something, for example, that Cleopas had discovered on the road with Jesus to Emmaus. And this precious thing that I'm talking about is the beautiful interplay that takes place outside. When you take fresh air, swaying trees and dappling light, and mix it together with movement by our feet together. And what it does quite mysteriously is it leads to a much deeper level of conversation than if we were just sitting inside in an office. I don't quite understand this, but something happens when we're walking together as friends. And so what have I been hearing on our pandemic walks? <laughs> Strange times we live in, aren't they? Well, one of the things that I've been hearing during this time is that all of us in one way or another have been experiencing a kind of inner awakening. That we're still struggling, reaching to understand or to articulate in words. But as all of us have stopped living 100 miles an hour, 
many of us have begun to rethink our lives. Anybody done that? Rethinking our vocations. Rethinking our relationships. Rethinking our racism and exclusion of others. Rethinking our disconnection from nature and our apathy toward climate change. Rethinking how we want to do church together. Rethinking God. A friend recently told me, a wise friend, that by the end of this pandemic, and when is that going to be? We will all have experienced equivalent of 50 years of accelerated change. And even if he's only half right, <laughs> even if he's only half right, I find myself offering, often wondering what this is going to mean, especially for our dear congregation. And the truth of it is, we really just don't know, do we? We just don't know. In the beautiful words of the poet John O'Donohue, the old is not old enough to have died away. The new is still too young to be born. Let me say that again. The old is not old enough to have died away, and the new is still too young to be born. And so, friends, today, today's scriptures feel especially timely and relevant for us as a congregation because in them we hear the wisdom of God calling out to us, calling, calling, calling to guide us as a community to live together faithfully, skillfully, wisely, resiliently, justly in these hard and uncertain times. So throughout September, we've been turning to the book of Proverbs, where wisdom, where God's wisdom is intriguingly portrayed for us as a woman who has dwelled with God since the beginning of creation, who has an active hand in history, who cries out for justice, as Pastor Don shared with us three weeks ago and invites us to follow, to walk on her good path. She is called Chochmah in Hebrew, and what in, what in Greek? Sophia, the name of wonderful, one of our wonderful daughters of this church. And as Judy and Bob, uh, they wrote a Sunday school resource for us two years ago that then was um, landed right in the middle of the pandemic. But they wrote a resource in which they identified wisdom as a practical, everyday way to live in the world as people of faith. 
a practical, everyday way to live as the followers of Jesus. God's Sophia, in other words, guides us to choose well in how we handle our money, how we care for our bodies and our souls, how we relate to each other, how we choose what we eat, and how we choose where we live. That is wisdom. And intriguingly, I don't know if I'm going to uh, smooth out the uh, roller coaster ride that, that Carol was talking about, but intriguingly in the New Testament, I hope you noticed it, Jesus closely identifies himself with the wisdom, the Sophia of God. Did you catch that? Just before our reading in Matthew 11, John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus to ask him if he's the real thing, the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And to that, Jesus responds, well, go tell John that the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the poor are receiving the good news. And then he says, Sophia, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds through me. And then when he returns to his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 6, folks are astounded by the depth of his insight. What is this wisdom, they cry out, that has been given to this hometown boy? And then later in Colossians 2, Paul says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge from God. And then in 1 Corinthians, as Carol read, Paul goes even further saying that Jesus is the wisdom of God walking among us. But what I love and what we don't talk about much is that the Bible also shows us a Jesus who is progressively growing in wisdom, much like us. After he returns from his pilgrimage to Jerusalem with his folks as a 12-year-old, we're told that he continues to grow steadily in wisdom and stature. And then later on as an adult, we see Jesus again and again accessing God's wisdom through two things in particular, through prayer and through the wisdom of those around him. And I want to look at each one very briefly. First of all, prayer. I'm back to my favorite subject. I often wonder this. Does Jesus spend so many nights in prayer and meditation with God because he needs to have the wisdom to know what is his to do and not to do? Does he spend so much time listening to God so that he's able to heal all those he's meant to heal and not everyone? 
He didn't heal all of Palestine, did he? And is, does he pray so much so he's able to speak to those he really needs to speak to, but not to the whole world? We get a sense of his limits of time and space and energy, just like ours. Second, Jesus also shows us how to access God's wisdom through those around us. Have you ever thought that about that? For example, in the story of the Syrophoenician woman, he initially f- refuses to heal this Gentile's daughter by saying he cannot throw food to the dogs. It's a story where Jesus isn't very Jesus-y. But then, after hearing this woman's wise and brave response, Jesus' heart and mind are clearly changed. And then he heals this woman's suffering daughter. Two years ago, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we explored how a serious mistake or failure in our lives can often be the beautiful doorway into wisdom for us. I won't ask for a raise of hands on this one. A serious mistake or failure that you or I have made that has actually helped us to grow in wisdom. Is not Jesus' encounter with the Gentile woman a story where we see Jesus clearly unlearning, unlearning the racist conditioning he grew up with in Nazareth, and that we all grew up with ourselves, and that we have to unlearn? If the Son of God came to show us what it means to be fully human, how can it be any other way? Well, in conclusion, we know that there is no set of rules that will ever be able to help us navigate the incredibly complex choices we are all needing to make together. And so two weeks ago, we looked at some wisdom questions. Do you remember them? That can help to guide us. What does love require? What is just and right and good and beautiful? What would Jesus do? And to this, I want to add one more to our list, and I I welcome your sending me the guiding wisdom questions of your life. This one comes from Suzanne Stabile and Nadia Boltz-Weber, and they ask, as wise women, what is ours to do or not? 
what is ours to do or not? It's a wonderful question, isn't it, for us as individuals, for us as families and households, for us as a church. East Chestnut Street cannot do every good thing, though we often die trying. Amen? Instead, we need to be praying and listening to each other to know from God what is ours to do and not. And I wonder, is this perhaps one of our most important growing edges as a church? To be listening and praying for God's guidance about what is ours to do and not. A century ago, the Quaker Thomas Kelly put it this way so beautifully. He wrote that God portions out God's vast concerns into little bundles and lays on each of us our portion. These become our very particular tasks. God, he said, never guides us into an anxious scramble of panting feverishness. Do we believe that? May our congregation be a faith community where we're all growing in the wisdom of God together, learning how to live skillfully, justly, sustainably, and resiliently in these incredibly uncertain times. And friends, let me tell you, it's not anything we can do on our own. By God's design, it's only what we can do together. Amen.